0: Caught offside with Andrew Gumling and JJ Devaney. Oh, yes!
1: Joss is our Sliding at the near post to win the game. Hallelujah!
0: Hallelujah! a fine substitution caught offside from the suburbs of new york city in an apartment in brooklyn new york it's the semi-final recap edition the united states are on to the final of the gold cup what's up
1: brother peace be with you andrew and also with you the u.s men's national team crowd you must be very happy i'm Father reardon uh, welcoming you to church with a hymn because our Lord wanted us to sing about Jossie Zardus at the near post. For didn't he say he would create a wonderful forward and give himself up for the world? And that's Jossie.
0: Yeah, that is what uh, the Lord said. You sound much more like Dana Carvey's church lady than whatever it is you're trying to do.
1: No, I don't know if you're uh, familiar
0: the, with that character.
1: That's the way priests talk, especially younger priests uh, growing up. They, they all talk that way. And uh, they would have extolled the virtues of a saviour who came amongst us to bring us to, well, not quite the promised land. He was bringing us to Vegas. No, it was a
0: semi-final. Yeah, and, and, and probably the complete and total opposite of, the, of whatever the Lord would envision the promised land to be. They're
1: going to Sin City. Father Reardon wouldn't want us going to Vegas. He'd want but us to, going to Lourdes to, to, <laughs> to
0: heal lepers. Let's talk about this. This was fun tonight as the U.S. are through to the final we are recording this pretty much almost immediately after the final whistle has blown so we don't know yet who the u.s will be facing obviously by the time you're listening to this you know so we it's gonna be hard for us in the midst of this podcast to really preview uh, a final this will be more of of course a recap of what we just witnessed in the semifinal, and that is giasi's artist playing the role of hero coming in off the bench scoring the winner for the u.s late on that's a couple games now running uh the late show for the united states um some similarities, I think, from the quarterfinal to the semifinal. Not a great start, better in the second half, um, and getting a late winner.
1: I, I think this podcast was very prescient on Sunday night without naming a single Qatari player because none of them sprang to mind on, on late <laughs> on Sunday night. But, but they play more football. They are much more coordinated in their attack than, than Jamaica are. Um, less physical too, but a better side, more stout opposition, and the US did not start the game well. Game of two halves, but things went right in the second half. Substitutions were made at the right time. There was a good energy, and um, the tide was turned with the help of the stutter step penalty, and um, and like I said, some good substitutions from Triple G. So, how do you want to do this? We can, we can. Let's let's. Let's attack the first half, okay. get through the bad. Okay. And there was lots of it. Mm-hmm. There's no point. There's no point glossing over this, my friend. We're going to be honest about the bad, and then we're going to talk about the good and the things that changed the game. And, um, and then we'll talk about other
0: things. All right. So starting with the bad, mm. um, uh, initially there, there's two players that kind of stand out for me. Boy, I feel bad doing that. I don't want to just like pin all the, you know, poor performances on two guys. But uh, the first one being um, like uh, we talked about Daryl DK on the last podcast, and I made it clear that I'm not willing to cast just like a broad thought on him over the course of just a couple of games. But for whatever reason, whether it's the system, whether it's the the patch of form that he's in, whether or not it's his shoulder injury, whether or not it's a combination of a lot of things, he is not right now an effective player for them. Uh, pretty much zero impact when he was out there. He was given an opportunity. Shaq Moore uh, burnt yeah. his defender, got into good position, played in a really nice ball to DK. His first touch was poor, let him down, uh, wasted opportunity, and there wasn't a whole lot else from him. And again, my my thoughts and my hopes for him as a player are still very high. I don't know that I've really changed my opinion of him all that much over the course of this tournament obviously a much a better performance and I would think more highly of him instead I feel like my my perception of him is kind of plateauing right now um, but it's it's kind of at a point where uh, his performances are what they are Giasi's artist is coming in and making an impact scoring a winner tonight I don't know. If in the final you can really justify starting DK again over Zardis, regardless of who the US are playing, uh, I would
1: uh, I would agree very much with that analysis, Andrew. I think um, I think missing the chance really, really, or I mean, he didn't even miss it. He took a heavy touch, and the goalkeeper slid and, and and took the ball away from him. But it stuck in his head because the next ball that comes into his feet in the middle of the park. He tries to control it. He boots it out over the sideline. And even at the start of the second half, he boots one. I think it was around the 50th minute. Kicks one out over the sideline. Um, if he's not fit, don't play him. Now, it's hard to criticize Greg Berhalter when he played him for as long as he did, an hour or so. And, and then he brings in Jossi Zardes, who scores the winner. It's very hard to be critical. But DK doesn't look right. And if he's not right, you know, why would you start him? Now I didn't think he'd start this game I was surprised to see him he must be fit enough if he's starting a semi-final to play regardless of how you know Stuart Holden was talking about him holding that left shoulder I understand that but you know there were other options to start you know there was no reason that Greg Bearhalter had to start him um yeah he just he just looks heavy footed um it was difficult though Andrew like because Early on, you could see this was going to be a 5-3-2 from Qatar and space was going to be at a premium. And it's difficult for Daryl DK because I thought there was an interesting idea early on where right in the opening couple of minutes, a long ball was played over the top and he made a run and he, he was trying to stretch to it and he didn't get to it. And I thought, all right, OK, well, if we can't go through them and we can't find passing lanes and we can't find guys in the gaps, and Hoppy, I felt, was too far wide. He wasn't able to link up with anybody either in the first half. I thought, all right, okay, go direct. And they never really did that. And, and it, it is difficult with that, that kind of low block to do, to do that with Daryl D. K. But honestly, I think now, if Greg Berhalter's idea was, hey, keep playing him, he'll play his way into form. I would throw that idea out the window now and I wouldn't play him or start him in the final. I don't think it makes sense anymore. Just on another things is well, another thing as well. It's it's interesting to me with this team and I would say it even applies a little bit to the A squad. Uh the US is often a second half team or maybe not so much with the A squad but but certainly in, in certain games and definitely with this team when plays broken up when the opposition have been suitably softened in a way mm-hmm. um this team in, in, in broken play and when the opposition is tired, like a lot of teams, is a much better side. In the first half, you know, you'd have center backs on the ball and they'd they they'd play a pass. There was it almost felt like 15 minutes of this, only interrupted by the occasional uh, Qatari break, where you know the center backs would have the ball, they'd play to Legette, Legette to a Acosta, give it to Bucio. Bucio would look up, there's nothing on, mm-hmm. and the ball would go back inside and it was recycled. Um, And we just didn't have that kind of uh, incisive midfielder to kind of beat a player and then open up the gaps. Because, you know, Andrew, if you beat one guy, things start to open up. Suddenly combination plays become possible. And really, the the only time in that first half was the time you talked about was where Shaq Moore decides, right, I'm going to come inside. So he kind of cuts inside drives at their defense a little bit, slides a ball in for DK. And I thought, okay, right. Well, maybe that's something we can do. None of that really happened in the game. And what happened was you saw a well-drilled unit who are used to playing together, who can put together the kind of attacking combinations necessary to cut a side open. And they cut us open regularly in transition. It It was the perfect kind of encapsulation of what Qatari football is, the national team are. You know, low block, don't give up anything. And then if if there's a mistake or a pass is astray, as in the case of James Sands early on in the game, you know, you get on it and you break quickly and you pass quickly. And I thought a fief was brilliant. And um it was really the it was really the Matt Turner show in the first half.
0: Yeah. Um, you're right about Qatar. I mean, I, I thought that they were pretty impressive, they were very disciplined in how they were gonna play and what their style was gonna be. And if they were just, I guess, a little bit more you know, incisive at the end of some of these moves, it could have been oh. a different game. I mean, they're they're finishing and they there were moments, too, where it wasn't just a matter of finishing. It was also some decision making, yes. um, you know, shots from 40 yards out when the U.S. is on their heels. And you're just you're just bailing this team that's kind of like defending for their lives yeah. a little bit. You're just bailing them out with some of these these shot selections uh, that Qatar was settling for, not a ton of that, but enough of it tonight that it kind of let the U S off the hook in, in certain moments. Um, and you're right too. I mean, you mentioned the James Sands moment early on in this game. I thought he struggled a little bit. We'll get to the penalty, um, but you know, Qatar, like they showed on the broadcast, there was the one angle from behind the goal. They're baiting him into making that crossfield pass. There's a Qatari player waiting to intercept yeah. that ball. They do. And next thing you know, they're on the break. Uh, and it, it just ended... I forget who it was that took the final shot. Aziz, maybe, but it was fired it
1: was wide. I, I think it was Ali, and he, he dragged it wide. Yeah.
0: But but how many times... Did so you I feel like we saw a clone of that sort of moment time and time again throughout the course, specifically of the first half.
1: Yeah, and, and look, when uh, they were constantly trying to get the the, the matchup of a thief versus Shaq Moore, whatever research they'd done on Shaq Moore, how many times does it switch to the left-hand side and it nearly paid off in the 40th, 39th minute, actually, excuse me, where Afif burns Shaq Moore in beside. There's a gap in behind him. And um, I think that's part of the problem of having Busio on that side. He doesn't read the danger. And so there's a big gap left, whereas you want someone, a midfielder slotting in there so the center half doesn't have to come out. But whatever. So he skins in behind him and uh, he centers for, I can't remember who the player was, but he did a... Uh, I I said I called it before a Bobby Reed, but it wasn't even a Bobby Reed because he didn't get a con- connection on it. He just whiffed on it, and um, I think it's important though that we just just talk briefly because it was a they were two amazing saves from Turner. Um, the well, if 19th, you want to get
0: to the good, then then he's that's a well, big part of it.
1: He's the well, he's the he's the complete package of good from the first half. Mm-hmm. Um, the nineteenth minute save. That deflection off uh, James Sands, I mean, the shot's going wide. Sands clearly doesn't know where he is, where his goalkeeper is, or his post is. Actually, I take that back. It's an instinctive thing. He sticks a foot out. Natural enough thing to do. And that's going in the bottom corner. And Turner is just so agile. He gets down and he he flicks it around the post. Uh, By the way, Turner reminds me of the main character in, um, what was that show?
0: Silicon Valley. I was about to say that. Absolutely. definite definite resemblance
1: yeah absolutely the hair is a bit different but that's it and then the the saving made from the the stretching qatari attacker the ball a thief takes a shot it's it's deflected up in the air and the qatari attacker volleys it on the stretch and i thought oh this is going in and he just gets his left hand to it andrew and tips it around the post um matt turner is growing in my estimation with every game and is now a serious contender. There are now three clear contenders for the number one spot. And it's so interesting because Matt Turner plays week in, week out for the New England Revolution. Ethan Horvath, we expect... We don't know, but we expect he made the move to Nottingham Forest to be the number one goalkeeper for Forest in the championship. And the actual U.S. men's national team number one, or the de facto number one, doesn't play for his club at all. He's number two. Well, I say at all. He plays in cup competitions. This is,
0: there's a a goalkeeper
1: controversy. Yeah,
0: I think you're right. I, I really do. Uh, Because turn, I mean, he still has not allowed a goal from open play right throughout this tournament, and he's now you know before tonight he had he had done everything asked of him, but this was the first night where he was asked to do something elite, and he did it a few times to keep the U.S. in this game. When the U.S. were offering nothing much in attack, uh, he kept them in this game because it could have been one nil down, two nil down, uh, and he he allowed for them to go to the break tied up at zero.
1: So so I don't think there's any way. By the way, he seems good with his feet. He's very calm. Like, he doesn't seem very flustered at all. Um, He looks as flustered as the Silicon Valley guy does when he's trying to create his Robin Hood
0: app. Thomas Middleditch, by the way, I believe is who you're referring to. Uh Uh-huh.
1: But, uh,
0: you know, if, if I was to ask you right now,
1: are you, who's your, just imagine that Horvath does start for
0: Forrest. Who's your number one goalkeeper? So, because I think, do I we think, agree, do we agree right now that Stefan, if, if, if all things you know, if everyone is available, Bearhalter is probably going with Stefan as his number one. Would you say that that's probably what, what the, he is number one on their depth chart right now? I,
1: I think so. Um, but that has to be, te- that's surely being tested now yeah, uh, or will be tested soon. Like, I mean, when is he, he's 26 at the moment. You're going, to have a go- you're going to continue with a player who's, you know, a backup at his club. If he goes on loan, that changes the dynamic. I would say that.
0: Boy, it's really interesting. I mean, I don't want to be prisoner of the moment, but not, my, it, but no, my gut not. right now is, is, I mean, Matt Turner is not doing anything to, to make you think he can't handle the weight of this job.
1: Yes, and, and we have, as good as Horvath was in, in nation, being the hero in the Nations League uh, final, that that wasn't a full game. We have a much bigger sample size of what uh, Matt Turner has done. Um, if it comes head-to-head, I, you know, ooh, if it was head, head-to-head between Horvath and, and Turner, I still think that because he has no hang-ups about the fact Turner is a goalkeeper in MLS, uh, Bearhalter will go with him, I would think.
0: Boy, that's going to be interesting. Mm. I'd be surprised when we get to World Cup qualifying, fair or not. I guess I would just be surprised if it is Turner, but uh, but that's not me saying that it shouldn't be.
1: Yeah, uh, it, I I think you're right too. I but I will say this: I definitely think there's an expiry on goalkeepers who aren't number one for their club being number one for their national team. I know there was the example of the goalkeeper at Manchester United being the number one for, for Argentina Romero, but I mean, that came to an end
0: as -hmm. well. Stefan, I feel is on borrowed time with this. Um, Other observations before we go full in on some of the good aside from Matt Turner tonight, a couple other of the bad, I mentioned a little bit of James Sands um, thought that, you know, after he was great two games ago, I feel like that he's progressively taken small steps back. Some of his passing, I still think, is is very good. Yeah. Um, that's
1: why he's there, I would, I would, I would argue.
0: But defensively, there were just a couple moments where you found yourself a little bit nervous, of course, the, that culminating in the penalty. Also bad tonight, uh, the field. I mean, players were slipping all over the place in this one.
1: But I, I felt the ball move better than it did in, uh, In Jerry World. well, yeah. That's that's undeniable.
0: But guys couldn't stay on their feet.
1: Yeah. I saw, I think, um, in the second half, someone was on the ground. I can't remember who it was. A U.S. player. They had green Nike uh, vapors on, I think. And they had the long studs. They had the long, you know, you rarely see them those days. Most people wear molded studs now in almost all conditions. And these had the long studs for the grip, which I thought was was curious. You're right. The pitch was incredibly, incredibly slippery.
0: So before we move to the second half, the first half, J.J., um, Qatar had eight shots in the first 22 minutes. They outshot the U.S. for the first half, 13 to three. Uh, Only two of those on goal. But, it, it, you know, shots, it's not necessarily the gospel of how a half goes. But when it's that one-sided, it's it's at least a gauge. And I think in this case, that told the story of how that first half was played. I definitely
1: agree. it, It certainly did. Overall, just for anyone who's interested, uh the xg was 2.03 to qatar and 0.86 for the united states and as good as you as the uh, sorry as improved as the united states were in the second half i honestly don't believe you know that there was that many clear cut chances there was a lot of uh a lot of balls pinging around in the box there was a lot of blocks etc cetera, etc cetera. but like in terms of open chances and uh, I suppose this is us sliding into the second half. Yeah. The Matthew Hoppy, beautiful ball for Daryl DK, um, who hits the keeper from eight yards out um, in in a crazy few minutes for the game. And I, w- I mean, you could say it was the turning point for the game because the penalty comes soon after. Uh, that was that was really the the big chance um, that the US carved out up until that point. I would say.
0: Oh yeah, undeniably. Mm. Um, you know, I I thought. In the first half, you know, they hoppy was one of those players that you felt like could provide something for the US, and they couldn't really get him on the ball to the extent that they would have liked to.
1: No, he was isolated and quite wide. I felt he looked, he looked, I know he played the pass for DK from a wide position, but I think, I think he's better tucked in a little bit and more involved and able to create
0: combinations with players. Uh, so then let's go to the penalty as it was the second biggest moment of this game in real time. I thought it was great defending from James Sands. And then I saw a replay and then I thought that is, that's a penalty. I, I think they got it right. I think it was a good use of VAR. Um, it was close, but I just, you know, I know there was some debate on the broadcast. Dr. Joe seemed to think it wasn't. He thought James Sands got enough of the ball. Uh, I'll no. be honest. I don't know what he, exactly he was seeing uh i didn't see that i thought it was i don't know i thought it was clear i i thought I, it was a definitive penalty
1: well i was sat there and there was there was quite a gap between him the referee going for the review and the incident and i said straight away oh that does not that looks like a penalty and nothing from the replay would dissuade me in that view um and then it kind of descended into this Referee is watching it on the screen. Uh, Even as the referee goes over to the screen, uh, Kellen Acosta's S-Housery. It was
0: man of the match level S-Housery from Kellen Acosta.
1: It was, I'll tell you, that's a huge house he's put up with all that S. Oh,
0: it was fantastic.
1: Yeah, I mean, he literally delayed that whole thing. And and he had to be restrained from getting in the face um, of Al-Hadus, the penalty taker. Uh, (laughs) he was just mad to get over and chat S to him. Um, it was, I actually think if you're, if you're looking back at that game and I know there's people on, on, on us men's national team, Twitter, um, who go back and watch every play Mm -hmm. of the game. They rewatch these games, which has got to be, I respect that it's own unique torture in many ways. Um, (laughs) especially that Canada game, but I digress. Uh, they will probably tell you that Kellen Acosta did X or Y in the game. I don't recall any of the
0: X or Y. I remember the S. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that was, (laughs) that was probably his most impactful (laughs) contribution. Yes. Um, Yeah. I don't, I don't, I'd have, you're right. I would have to simply go. We just finished watching. I'd have to go back and watch again. Is that the worst? I I don't remember. The worst in, penalty I've seen, no, in a, I've seen, no, in a while, though. Um, it was pretty bad. So, I've said this before. Um, I forget who it was that that tried a panenka that failed spectacularly. There was someone who recently, oh, I can't believe I'm forgetting, someone recently converted a panenka, I think, to win a match. I just can't remember who. Okay. But I, I have said before, for however cool they are when they work there is really no good reason to do them ever. And like, I I don't know. I just think that like that can, you could tell in his run up, you know, he's waiting for Turner to bite or or at least show his hand in some way of which way he's going to go. And Turner played a game of chicken and wasn't going to bite. And I think it caused the penalty taker to, kind of lose confidence at the last moment and it resulted in that.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, Turner went a bit to his left-hand side and uh, I, I think it's, it's a bad pinyanka when it goes over the bar like that. Uh, I think most the proper football man will tell you, put the ball down and hammer it low and hard to the corners, pick yes. a corner.
0: Always just do that.
1: Yeah. And I think in a high stakes moment, especially when the, Tension has been ramped up by the agitator in chief, Kellen Acosta, when things have become fraught. And the lot mo- most players will tell you the longer you have to think about the penalty, the more it becomes a problem psychologically. So you want to get it down and you want to do it in reasonable order, not too quick, as we saw with Killian Mbappe against Switzerland. Because I-, I-, I honestly think what are you doing? He just put it down and hit it really quickly, but you want, you want to do it in a fairly timely fashion. And I think El Haido's just thought too much about it. Again, it was one of those penalties. There was little angled run. There was the stutters, multiple stutters. And then there was a penenka. It's like four penalties in one or three penalties in one. Just go low and hard, get your head over the ball. And nine times out of 10, honestly, from 12 yards, if, if you get a decent contact, you're going to score.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's a bad job, uh, especially, too, because he had taken a Panenka earlier in this tournament. So there's at mm. least a little bit of a scouting report saying, OK, like Matt Turner clearly knows that they're talking about it on the broadcast. Matt Turner knows. Yeah. So that that's a thought in his head. You know, that's part of the reason that he was willing to wait as long as he was before that penalty was taken to see, you know, to try to get into Alhaidus's head. and And I think he did. So props to Turner. I know it's not a save per se, but I, I do think that he did a good job in, in holding his ground for as long as he could. There is um, a, um,
1: sorry, sorry to get off the, this, this question, but there's a video uh, floating around on Sky, on YouTube, on Sky Sports Retro. And it's from a, I think it's from like a Premier League preseason tournament back in 2002. So a long time ago. And Sir Bobby Robson, the late Sir Bobby, is manager of Newcastle United. And he is, he's been asked about Jermaine Genius, who in a warm-up game, essentially a non-important game, has taken a Penenka and missed it. Mm -hmm. And Sir Bobby's kind of rationale is the same as yours. But Sir Bobby says it in much more kind of, I don't know, straightforward terms. He says it like, that's not, I'm paraphrasing here, that's not a professional thing to do. And if you, if you think, if you, I know we find joy in it. We know Pirlo did it to, to Joe Hart in a, in a knockout game in, at, at Euro 2012. I get all that. But if you boil it down to its components, like you said, if there's no need to do it, don't do it.
0: There's never a reason. No. There's never a reason for it. There's yeah, just I'm not. Again, a, yeah. it looks cool if it's converted. A lot of stuff looks cool if it's converted. Doesn't mean you do it, especially in a game that matters, a semi-final. But but, but it's like a
1: golfer who's got like it maybe what's in what's a relatively short putt, like a 4-yard putt or a 5-yard putt and it's a golfer and he's like, "How can I add an element of difficulty to this?" You
0: know. Right. Like I mean, he... look, if 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 a basketball player in like in like the conference finals is on a breakaway and instead of just like dunking it normally wants to go between his legs yeah all right like if you do if you pull it off that's awesome but you better pull it off because yeah. there's no reason to do it no there's just not yeah, so like again it looks cool if it's converted doesn't mean it's necessary and it bit them tonight and then i thought the game momentum wise you know qatar still had moments after that but the U.S. was clearly motivated after that happened. They made their substitutions, which, yes, for the most part, I thought were all impactful in some way. Um, and we can go to that now. I mean, let's fast forward. If yeah, you let's want do that. And, and go to the goal. Um, good build up from the U.S. And I, I thought Jalkini tonight came on and was very good for them, uh, set up. Zardis had the assist and then, you know, even fast forwarding, just looking at him for a sec, even then after that did a good, I mean, how many fouls did he draw in the final 10 minutes of this game, uh, into stoppage time to but keep he possession. The,
1: he did not to cut across it. He did the one thing in the lead up to the goal that wasn't really happening. He, he saw uh, Eric Williamson and he goes, I'm going to play a one, two with this guy. Like we don't see enough of that. And partly from the, the USB team, um, and I don't, I, I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but partly it's because these guys don't play together that much. They don't have the Definitely. same, kind, they don't have the same kind of relationships. They don't know each other's runs, um, but he was just brilliant. He was direct. He got the ball. I'm going to go one, two with Williamson and see what happens. The Qatari defense was tired. One of the Qatari players actually put his hand up when he's like a yard away from Jackini in the box and then retreats, runs away. The positioning of, of the goalkeeper wasn't good. Doesn't matter. Jack Keeney kept, keeps possession of the ball outside of the boot, slides it to Zardes, who is just going to score because that's what he does at that range, at least. And, and there it is. And it was just one of those moments where you're like, he's made, he's done something that is just direct. It's well put together. It's like when you saw Reggie Cannon running down the right side in, in the second half. He was, he overlapped a couple of times. Uh, Christian Roll, I think he overlapped Christian Roald down a few times, got the ball. You're like, yes, this is this is what we're supposed to be doing. Did we see the fullbacks get forward hardly at all in the first half? And when they did, they were tightly marked. There was no space, or the ball wasn't quite right, or they were defended, whatever. But we we saw this. Now I will admit, Qatar made some decisions uh, that I didn't understand. Like I wouldn't have taken. I mean, I, it really went downhill for them after the 76th minute when a Afif was taken off and Montari came on. Because Montari didn't do anything. Didn't get on the ball. He didn't run anyone. Afif didn't look too pleased. A Afif was upset because he probably felt he had more to give. But that attacking outlet, that release valve was gone then. And you'll notice that the goal came from pure tiredness. Not pure tiredness. There was good play from the US. But the genesis of it was that one of the center backs or the fullback got the ball and he just whacks it to
0: a US player. That's and, fatigue, yeah. that's tiredness. And it happened a few times. Qatar was having a hard time getting the ball out of their end. Just yeah. you know, and their goalkeeper as well. He oh. was poor. He was poor. His outpassing passing was, was bad. His decision making I thought was bad on yes. some crosses that he came for. Not good. I mean he and it's kind of that's been a problem for Qatar. And yes, you can tell there, there's a there's a good team in there. And you know, I, I don't mean to make this about Qatar. I want to talk more about Zardas, but like you can you can tell when by the time we get to this world cup they they could be dangerous well, playing they, in their home country um like no one i know we don't view them as any kind of traditional footballing power no one should be surprised i feel if they get out of their group no, no one absolutely. should be surprised i
1: mean the last 20 years has seen huge investment in qatar yeah we've seen it with some of the transfers they've made we've seen it with what they've tried to do to the league we've seen it with the amount of the amount of coaches um in that part of the world right now from europe is huge And um, they want that that knowledge. They want that insight. They've also naturalized a lot of players, which makes a difference. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're tough. I saw them against the Republic of Ireland and I thought they were really resilient. They were really good and and they were just as good tonight. And they were very unlucky um, tonight that they didn't come away with more. But Jassie Zardes, Andrew, can we we can we talk a little bit about him? I mean, we sung the hymn. It would be rude not to. Father Reardon would send us to confession if we don't.
0: He's quickly becoming one of the more interesting players on this team, um, because of how polarizing he is, and that's not a new that's not a new phenomenon with him.
1: No, I mean the hymn comes from the fact that when I was a young boy. Um, the hymns you would hear in church were always stuck in your head after church forever. And the same thing happens with when you watch the U.S. men's national team. The Josie Zardes discourse is lodged in your brain forever, and it hasn't changed. Andrew, you will still.
0: What was the the major thing about him? His first touch isn't good enough. Oh, end. The... for years, it's what we heard about him. Right. Um, it, it's one was... of the things that bothers me sometimes in sports from the from fans. From the media, certainly. I'm sure we've been guilty of this in the past. You develop a narrative on a player. And that's and, it. and the player changes. I mean, a guy in year three of his career is not the same player that he's going to be in year seven of his career. Just not. Zardes, whoever. Any player. Guys mm-hmm. evolve. But for some reason, there are certain players that we develop a perception of what that guy is, and there's we don't allow him out of the walls of of what we've determined him to be correct. And that, and Zardes, for whatever reason, whether it's because he's an MLS player uh, on a team with more emerging European in in terms of the domestic leagues in which they play more European guys that fans want to see. And Zardes hasn't made that leap. And so fans box him into certain uh, to a certain narrative. And he's not the player that people have decided him to be from several years ago. He's not a bad player. He's shown it in MLS. He had a 20-plus goal season in MLS once he got to Columbus and, and was, was playing in a different position for this manager, by the way. He has scored clutch goals for the United States. In terms of his first touch narrative, I mean, I remember making fun of that notion a couple of years ago. I feel it's even sillier now. Uh, people have to let go of that. JJ, I think I saw a stat um, where I believe the U.S. is undefeated when he scores. I think they're now 11-0 in games where he scores a goal.
1: Look. Uh, I I would just say this. Um, We've had our shots at Jassy on this podcast down the years. Of course we have. He's not
0: perfect. He's not. Of course not.
1: He's not. Like I said, if he was the striker that is going to be the, you know, the guy who's going to go to Europe, going to go to Belgium or France or England and score, what, like 30 goals a season or 25 goals a season, it would have happened already. I understand that. But we're not looking for... I mean we'd like to have that striker but that striker isn't there right now. So what we're looking for is who fits in the team and who delivers and you can't say he doesn't deliver. And we've talked about Daryl DK. Uh we've looked at, you know, PFOC has obviously come into the into the reckoning and has done well and and definitely you could be you could be forgiven for thinking that it's a a P-Fock versus Zarda's kind of battle now depending on how Greg wants to play up the, but if you're playing, I will say this, Andrew, if you're playing a front three, like, uh, like was played tonight um, where you had hoppy and then you had DK down the center and you had Ariola. There's an argument that Zardes slots in there and plays better with Ariola and hop and hoppy because of his movement, because of the way he can get around the field. Um, so he's played himself right into contention, but he was never out of contention. He's, Especially with Greg Bearhalter, Bearhalter no.
0: trusts him he's got we, a good, we can see that
1: he 's got a good attitude as well. His teammates seem to love him. Um, well, I
0: loved what he said after the game tonight that 's right mean, just, t- just scanning through Twitter he thanked the starters. He said they wore down the Qatar defense and and you could see it Qatar 's defense was tired in the last fifteen minutes of this game. unquestionably, it had a lot to do, like you just talked about, some of the sloppy outlet passing. you know they were worn down, they were trying to see that out and get to extra time and then reload. Uh, And they could, and the U.S. would not allow them. They, we, U.S. applied the pressure. Bearhalter did a good job with his substitutions, and they, and they capitalized. And Zardes saw it, and he he thanked the starting unit for the U.S. tonight for for putting him and the other guys who came on as subs in the position where they could succeed. Uh, So yeah, he's he's a likable dude. He's improved year to year. That's all you can ask for from a guy. So uh, yeah, you're, I'm not, we're not sitting here endorsing him as the world cup qualifying starting number nine up front. No, we're not saying that, but I think he's deserved uh, a place on the team. I think he's earned you know, a spot off the bench where he can do something like this again in another big moment for this team in world cup qualifying. I don't think that's unreasonable at all. I
1: mean, a quick scan at our mentions tonight on the pod is uh, on the pod uh, at CEO soccer pod on, on Twitter. I mean, it's just, Jassy Zarda's love it's it's a nice thing so it's, maybe
0: uh, i need to relax maybe i'm boxing in i'm doing to zarda's haters what i think they do to him maybe i need to relax my views on how people views artists maybe people have come around and, and we need to let go of this idea that they haven't yeah maybe you do Maybe that's exactly it. Like I just threw his name into Twitter just to kind of see, not even for our mention specifically, just in general to see like what's being said. Uh, there's this from at JK Godwin. He said, I hereby commit to never slander Giassi's artist on this platform ever again. Guy has become a real difference maker and top teammate who gives everything for the shirt every time.
1: Yeah. Um. What, am, what else am I seeing here? Um, need that him on the pod tonight literally the only thing going through my head after he scored Jackson Boyd says
0: this
1: (laughs) need a soundbite from the pod I can just play and repeat well my friend you got that at the start of the pod uh need a full-throated rendition from you and Andrew tonight well uh Mike Gavin start singing the Zardes hymn now JJ so look it's um it's a very
0: nice thing for him fun game man fun second half watching them turn up the heat apply pressure like that, uh, and, and ultimately get the winner, it was, uh, it was enjoyable. And the S-Housery from Acosta and Bearhalter screaming at the fourth official uh, after the goal. Like there was, you know, we talked last week about this team and, you know, where is the edge coming from? Who are the guys out there who are willing to kind of get in the mud and dirty it up? And we weren't sure we thought maybe Matthew Hoppe is one of those guys. Unfortunately, he might have been tonight with his own manager, which is fine. But like, it was a little bit of an awkward look. But, you know, Kellen Acosta was that guy tonight. Bear Mm -hmm. Halter's attitude on the sideline. You know, like you could see the, the want to from all of these guys. I, It was, you know, they've they've grown into this tournament they're they haven't played spectacularly by any stretch no uh in any they've yet to really put 90 minutes together across any of these games but yeah that's fair but it's not the worst thing in the world for an experimental side um playing without most of their best players um in this tournament really playing together for the first time to have found their way into a final without playing 90 solid minutes Consecutively, so it's try to enjoy this because this has turned into a fun run from a group of players that that are giving their all, everyone in every one of these games.
1: I can uh, give you an update on the other semi final, Andrew, if you want me to. Because no, I uh, don't. You don't.
0: No, of course. Why would I not want that?
1: Okay, it's halftime. Mexico lead one nil. A penalty. Pineda converted it, and it appears from what I'm seeing uh that it was something of a controversial penalty but there we are it's looking like mexico in the final on sunday
0: if that can we i guess let's just assume for a sec that it is uh what an opportunity for the u.s for this group of players not only to really build some equity in their own names but think of the morale blow they could deliver <laughs> to this mexican team should yes. they go on and win this thing because I mean, you look- know because mexico is already a wounded animal after what the us did to them in the concacaf nations league final that was the initial shot across the bow um now, if Mexico playing mostly most of their key players are, are here and available Corona, in this De Santos, yeah, Corona, Al- Alvarez, Hector Herrera. No you know one this- is looking at this U.S. team, obviously, as being on that level. No. Uh, despite the fact that this game is going to be in Las Vegas, uh, what are we expecting that crowd to be? 70-30 Mexico? 80-20? <laughs> like, it's going to be a pro-Mexico crowd. If this if this group of U.S. players finds a way to, to do them now i mean like look boy, at you, the, the look, morale at you. Model. look at you like a little east london scam i can't wait you do doing and and also too i mean what it would mean potentially for like i'm talking about these players for bear halter too uh you know after after having lost them in the gold cup if he rebounds with a nation's league final win against them and then a gold cup final win against them with a b slash c squad against the mexico mostly like a minus squad a uh, bear halter tonight jj became the fastest u.s men's national team head coach to ever uh reach to reach 25 wins hmm. did it in, in 34 games fastest okay. ever uh, um, and if I, he can and if he can put a cherry on top with a win against them oh baby
1: i i and i actually think that bear should fashion a sense of calm because they're playing with house money no one expects them to win it's categorically being, being signposted as a USB team against a Mexican much stronger team. Maybe not full A, but certainly, you know, A-. minus. Yeah. So I think uh, I would let the shackles off and just go out and enjoy it and see, can you rattle these guys?
0: <sighs> it's going to be fun.
1: It is going to be fun.
0: I'm looking um, forward to it. Yeah. Let's see. Do you have anything else on this game, JJ, specifically?
1: No. No, I would like to talk about other things.
0: Okay, well, I'll tell you what. Let's go ahead. We'll take a break. All right. We'll 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 collect ourselves, our thoughts. And when we come back, we do have some other things that we want to get to. Uh, still a lot to do, as a matter of fact. So I would advise you to not go anywhere. Be right back. Oh, back now on Caught off side uh, JJ, let's see. So... A few other things to get to tonight. I mean, obviously, we're here doing this because of the U.S. game, but yes, uh, yes, yes. Since we last spoke, Manchester United have done some things that warrant mentioning on this podcast. They have officially signed Jadon Sancho and Raphael Varane, and now I'm starting to look at their team. Uh, obviously, moves are still going to be made, whether that means players going in or players potentially leaving. I don't know, but I look at that United squad. Uh, you know, Bruno Fernandez, a a back to a a center back pairing of Varane and Maguire, Um, you know, Rashford, we'll see what his injury status is. Pogba, I'm assuming he'll stay, but I guess that's not a definitive comment. No. Um, But for the most part, I look at them and, and it's hard to look at that squad right now and think, okay, I don't know. I can't sit here and tell you they're better than Man City or they're better than Liverpool. But but like they better they should be if they, good. If they haven't narrowed the gap, then there's a problem. And the manager will pay for it.
1: Yeah. I mean, the manager's just signed an extension to his to his contract, Andrew. Uh, he signed it at the weekend. So the hierarchy at Manchester United has not just gone all in on ole they've gone in, all in on these these signings, which are at a significantly reduced rate. Than what they would have been talked about when, when, when first did you think the Sancho conversation started two seasons ago?
0: Yeah, probably. probably.
1: And at that time, the combined total transfer uh, would have been that between Varane and Sancho, what they're paying now for two players is what they were being playing, what they were being uh, suggested. They'd have to pay for Sancho for one player. Um, it's good for them to get this protracted Sancho thing over the line. I honestly think there's huge pressure on this manager, and, you know, I'm just not convinced. that Like, that was a fairly meek, as I said, run at a championship last year. And there was far too many times when they had City in their crosshairs and they bottled it. Uh, bottled it, it's not fair. They they didn't get the results they wanted. They didn't play the way they should have. Um, And even in the games that they, you know, towards the end of the season, I thought, you know, Liverpool coming in with a week in sight to Old Trafford and they concede four. So Varane is going to be, huge expectation on him to to tighten things up at the back with Maguire. I don't like what's going on in front of them. You know, I keep saying Fred McTominy, you know, the the way that midfield is is parcelled out right now, I don't see enough cover for for the defense. Um and I worry about the center of the Park. Sancho's a great signing cuz Sancho's a class player and hopefully he's put his summer struggles behind him, you know, because that was that was quite an end to the European Championships. Having not played much football and then suddenly being thrust into the middle of, of a penalty shootout um, was, was quite something. But look, um, you're right. <laughs> if Solskjaer can't make something or get a note out of this team or be considerably better than they were, there's also the, the residual fallout from... I think, I think we've forgotten quite quickly. It's been, it's been helpful for Solskjaer. Because of the tournament we had this summer it was a great tournament. Everyone enjoyed it. It feels as if football hasn't stopped. There's been a really, really tight calendar. People have forgotten just how abysmal United were when they had a chance to win uh, the Europa League final against Villarreal. <laughs> like, humiliation. So, there's that as well.
0: Well, in terms of Solskjaer,
1: hmm.
0: um, I mean, you, you simply cannot back a manager much more than they nope. have decided to back him. because So just looking at the numbers here, Veron would take United spending on players to just short of 400 million pounds since Solskjaer was appointed on a permanent basis. So March of 2019, wow. that's more than Manchester City by a lot, by the way. City yes. in that time is, is at just under 300 million. More than Chelsea at 262, Tottenham 255, Arsenal 243, Liverpool 119. That's all according to transfer market. I mean, so Manchester United, like by a massive margin, have spent to back this manager. So if if they don't get returns on that investment, it, it's interesting that they just gave him the extension. Um, because if they don't see returns on the investment, which by the way, like I said before, it can be no less than contending for the title. I'm not even going to sit here and tell you that they have to win it, um, but it simply cannot be a situation where Liverpool, Chelsea or city are running away with this or are battling some other team and United are, 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 finished by early April. Um, it can't, if, if that's the case, there's just no way that they can continue with this guy.
1: Agreed. Agreed. It's, it's got to be completely, they've got to be in a title race right to the very end or win the bloody thing. Honestly, yeah. with yeah. this outlay of money,
0: um, and, you know, like you look at some recent high-profile moves of title-winning teams in this league. Van Dyke at Liverpool, mm. Ruben Diaz at City. I mean, these some of these, like, recent runs of dominance that we've seen have been preceded by marquee signings at that position. I don't think that's a coincidence. And so no. for United to finally enter the season, like I like Lindelof. He's a nice player, uh, but he's but he's not this guy. So for United to go into this season with Maguire and Varon at those positions, I think they can feel... I think they can feel pretty good about that. Yeah. Um, something also with this that I've now been wondering about, JJ, you know, newer fans, I'm not trying to be disparaging anyway, but just like, just generally like talking here, like, newer fans of, of this sport and of this league kind of know the state of the English Premier League to be a big six. But like, that was, uh, that was certainly not the case. It was not the case when I became a fan. No. I mean, it was like top four. Yeah. There was the, it was the top four. Um, and, like, you know, it was that preceded Manchester City's influx of money and it preceded what Tottenham went on to become under Pochettino um, when they took a step up. And, and I just look at this now and I look at the state of City. I look at what United are right now. I look at Chelsea coming off of having just won a Champions League. And I look at Liverpool, a team who within mm. the last three seasons have been maybe across those three seasons, the, one of the best them in city are, are certainly contending for best in this league. Uh, and I expect them to bounce back after a little bit of a step back last year. And I just wonder uh, is that, has that wall been put back up or like Lester Tottenham Arsenal, like we'll do our EPL preview, obviously when we get closer to the season, but I just wonder, like, I don't see that wall being penetrated by, by any of those three Everton, West Ham, whoever you want to throw out there. I think that, Right now, to me, I know moves will be made, players will get hurt, whatever. I don't see anybody coming in and, and intruding on what that top four is.
1: No, I couldn't agree more. And if you were, if you cast your mind back a little bit, not quite as far back as you were going there when you t- spoke of the big four, but just say go to 2015-2016 season, where on this very podcast, me and you talked about the first influx of the big mega TV deals. And me and you kind of hoped this was going to bring some kind of equality to the league. It was probably 2014, 2015, actually. And that that money would have some kind of like, remember we saw Stoke, Stoke um, Stoke, Alona, you know, Stoke buying Barcelona players. We right. thought things would would still kind of, Well, we thought that we thought that money would upset things, but
0: it did and it it didn't. It Mm. depends. It depends what your barometer for success is for some of those clubs that you're talking about, like for Wolves to come up from the championship and finish seventh back to back seasons to me is something Uh, for West Ham to have just done what they did for Leicester City, even though they keep kind of running out of these good situations uh, in the table, like for them to consistently be battling with these other sides like that is something it's not just like we have six we have six teams and then like an abyss uh it's a it's a fairly competitive (laughs) league i would say
1: um yeah i'm not i'm not so sure about that if if you look at the last few years outside of apart from last season which was obviously covid interrupted and, and and changed things slightly um You look at it, it was Manchester City, it was Liverpool. You have Chelsea in there. Um, But, I mean, if Liverpool, say for some twist of fate, Jurgen Klopp doesn't go to Liverpool, Andrew. This is a clear sweep for Manchester City all the way. Uh, That is a different question, though. That's not just TV money. There's been a distortion um, from, from Manchester City and from the money that they've been able to generate, something we'll talk about and have talked about before, but something that is in the newspapers again. But anyway, yeah, look, um, you might be right about, you might be right about the North London teams now being outside that firmament of top teams. You, you might be, you probably are correct on that. And Tottenham can't afford that. Um, and Arsenal certainly can't.
0: A couple other things. Uh, back to MLS for a sec. LAFC with a marquee trade. Mark Anthony Kaye who we've been watching right now playing for team Canada, he's on his way out of Los Angeles and heading to Colorado where somewhat quietly Colorado have put together a fun little team now with, with him, uh, with Kellen Acosta, Sam Vines, Keegan Rosenberry, Diego Rubio. I mean, they're fourth in the West. uh, And, you know, you see them make a move like this and you kind of get this feeling of like they're going for it. And I, I respect that. Whereas LAFC are kind of once again, following their model after like, from the walker zimmerman trade um a player who is good that they'll they'll potentially feel the loss of mm. but they want that general allocation money and uh i guess we'll see how how they choose to spend it i mean the other thing too is mark anthony k is is making i mean what's he on like two hundred fifty thousand? He he's on a, a very team-friendly deal um and he's probably closing in on wanting a lot more. And this is maybe LAFC getting ahead of that in favor of trying to use that money on somebody who they think is, I guess, better. Uh, So we'll have to see, Uh, but fairly big name changing uh, from one contending Western conference team to right now, you'd have to say Colorado or another one.
1: So, yeah. And I mean, Colorado for a long time have been operating an almost money boy money ball style system. Um, and I'm wondering, are, are they moving away from this or is this kind of acquisition part of that overall program? But they haven't really been, apart from one season where they got into the playoffs and they looked good for a while. But then they faded away. I think they lost in the first round of the playoffs. They haven't been a super competitive side of late. And um, this season, uh, Max, seems to be a turnaround for them. So it'll be interesting to see how they go as we get towards the business end.
0: So he's changing teams. One player who evidently will not be changing teams, JJ, as we go back to Europe now, um, Serginio Dest turned down advances from Bayern, from Dortmund, from Arsenal. Uh, There's another report of Monaco.
1: How Uh, do you think he wants to
0: stay at Barcelona?
1: Yeah. How do you think the Barcelona board feels about that?
0: That's an amazing question. So I was thinking about that because obviously it's no secret that they are desperate to (laughs) to shed money. We all know this. And, um, so I, I was thinking about them, like needing to pretend, oh, you're staying great. Like, and that's not an offense to him as a player. I think he's a good player. Um, and I, I believe that they believe that too, but like, what is more important to them? Because they do have cover at that position. Like we said, they need to raise money and at right back, they have Emerson Royal, they have Sergio Roberto, uh, Oscar Migueza can also play there. So like, if he left, it would suck. He's 20 years old and he has a high ceiling and Ronald Koeman likes him a lot. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm sure they wouldn't be thrilled, but like, would it be worth it for them to lose him, get back a decent amount of money and still have players who could play that position? Maybe not quite to the level that he could, uh, but not far off. So yeah, I, I, I did think a lot about that. And with that, I was thinking of a scene from The Office, JJ, where uh, there's an episode where Michael Scott, he's got he's been tasked. He has to fire someone. They have to like Barcelona. They have to shed money. They're hemorrhaging. They're going to shut down the branch like he's got to fire somebody, but it's killing him. Cause like you, Michael Scott hates upsetting his employees. He thinks they're a family and he, he, you know, that whole thing. And there's a scene where Dwight is choosing this moment to try and leverage an offer somewhere else. But then he wants, he's then though also choosing to tell Michael that he's going to stay and his loyalty. So I went back and like, I just thought of that exchange. This, this is what reminded me of, of like Sergio Dest going into John La, uh, Laporta's office. Okay. This is called Leveraging an Offer. Michael, can I talk to you for a moment? Oh, good. I just
1: thought you should know that I was just offered a job with better pay, better benefits, and a better title at Cumberland Mills.
0: Fantastic.
1: And I turned it down.
0: What? That would have solved all my problems. Out of
1: loyalty to this oh, company. You
0: idiot. <laughs> like, I just that's immediately what I thought of is like Dest going in there and saying, As, out of loyalty to this club and Laporta just like putting his head in his hands and being the, like, oh, um,
1: you could have solved all my problems. The English office, the original office, the best office has has the same thing, but they deal with it differently. So they're downsizing and they and David Brent, played by Ricky Gervais, has to fire someone just exactly like Michael Scott does, but he can't do it. Just like that, because he wants everyone to like him and it's, right. it's, it's doing his job. And that's not what he wants. He wants to be popular. He doesn't want to actually do his job. So the executive comes in and goes, "Um, David, have you, have you, have you managed to fire anyone yet? Yeah. <sighs> Who have you fired? Ju- Julie. Julie. Um, what's Julie's last name? I, I don't remember. Her. Julie, Julie and Julie Anderton. <laughs> like totally made up name, totally <laughs> made up. And I'm I'm wondering, will uh like Cumin will be sat there with his feet on the desk. Laporta comes in, who have you fired? And he'll go, Serginho. Who Serginho desk No, Sergio Best. There's no such person. Ronald, are you gonna fire anyone? No, I'm not.
0: Pretty much. Pretty much. Now the thing I wonder about though is Everyone knows the state of Barcelona's financial situation. And so these clubs coming in, they're going to try to take advantage of that. And so part of me, like, even though Barcelona has to shed money, part of me respects them being like, you know, no, we're not going to just accept any offer for this guy. And, well, and I also I also like desks, you know, wanting to remain with them and wanting well, to, to see. Well, of if course there.
1: he does. He, he's he's landed this position at Barcelona. He plays for Barcelona. He's still young. Literally any other club, like Monaco, according to one of the reports I read, Monaco were in from. He's not going to Monaco. No, He's not no. going to Borussia Dortmund. Even Bayern Munich's a step down. Barcelona are still Barcelona. Might Bayern Munich may not be a footballing step down, but like psychologically, come on. He's at the peak now. He wants to stay there. Kuhn wants him to stay. But Laporte is open to, to all offers. That's
0: a big statement, JJ. Bayern are a step down. Hmm. Playing I, think in some, ger- I think we got some German listeners who uh, are who are typing up an angry email right oh, now oh i'm I'm
1: sure I don't give a damn football wise certainly not a step down uh but prestige-wise uh i still playing in the new camp alongside the greatest player in the world in
0: la liga is still better than the Bundesliga um, uh there I've said it at ESPN FC, uh, let's see, they say one source with knowledge of the situation said Barca were satisfied with Dest's first season at the club and believe in his potential to establish himself as the club's number one right back moving forward while also providing backup for Jordi Alba at left back. Um, so Sergio Dest staying at Barcelona. Uh, a couple other things before we get out. We'll do a mailbag in a sec, JJ. But I just I saw this. I wanted to run this by you. Oh, good Lord. Uh, good I Lord. This, what? Did something uh, happen? Tejan Buchanan just equalized. Hi. Oh my goodness! Oh good lord! All Come that, on. all that U.S. Mexico preview we did before, all of it is just useless, meaningless. Uh, all right, so I saw this and I immediately thought, is this cool or or nah? All right. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna lay out the scenario for you. So Olympic soccer, uh, member of Brazil's Olympic soccer team, were on hand to watch and subsequently taunt. Argentina as they were eliminated after drawing with Spain Uh, a group of of Brazil players showed up at the Saitama Stadium to watch the encounter between their rivals Argentina and Spain and were delighted with the outcome Uh, Aston Villa's Douglas uh, Louise uploaded a video on Instagram stories in which he and his teammates Richarlison Rainier and Mateus Cunha are all seen smiling and waving goodbye while watching the game unfold with the caption quote goodbye little brothers Luis and Richarlison were part of Brazil's squad that lost 1-0 against Argentina in the Copa America final on July 10th at the Maracanã Stadium. Uh, is this cool or nah?
1: Uh, it's not cool.
0: There's
1: nothing cool about it. Um, I am in Do different... they look
0: like tools, though?
1: Uh, I mean, I, I guess they do, yeah. I mean, they had a chance to. They had a chance to beat Argentina in the big one, and they didn't do it, and now they're taunting them in a game they're not involved in because Argentina are losing or they've drawn with Spain and they're out. It's a bit, it's a bit petty. It's whatever. I actually don't care very much about it, to be honest with you. You I know what care it felt, it.
0: I care a lot about it. <laughs> um, you know what it felt like to me? Like after a, so after a girl breaks up with you and you loved her, and now you're hurt, so what do you do? in a situation like that, you go out of your way to let her know that you're doing so amazing. Right. Yeah. You've yeah. Never been better. Lots of fun posts on social media of you doing fun things. If With you run girls, into her, hopefully. Oh yeah. When you, if you happen to run into her, you try to act, you know, you're extra upbeat. Oh, I'm great. I've never been better. I'm, I'm, life is awesome. You know, you don't want her to know that she has destroyed you, but when you go home, what do you do? JJ, you're crying into your pillow. That's what these guys are. They're trying so hard to show Argentina how happy they are bringing Argentina down to the depths that they're currently at, but you can't do it because at the end of the day, they are still Argentina Copa America champs having just done it to you in your own Maracana stadium. Right. Um, like, do you think going out of these Olympic games means something to them right now? After that, I saw a video the other day of like Giovanni Lacelso and Angel Di Maria, and they're on a, a yacht and they're like partying, like Stop! This is these guys look so silly to me when I saw this post. Yeah, you're probably right. That's no, I content. love the the rivalry is fun. Like but, I get like a Brazilian player being but Olympic to there shouldn't Argentina be a f- lose. But like just look so I don't know. Looks so stupid. There shouldn't be
1: Olympic soccer anyway. It's especially wow, this, that's, I mean, Oh, oh, it's, it's rubbish. It's absolute rubbish. Who cares? The Olympics. But there's so many great sports in the Olympics that that get their one time every four years gets gets their chance to shine and soccer has to muscle in. We want to be
0: involved. No one sees enough of us. What a ridiculous statement. It's I'm not, not I don't endorse any of that. Blah. By I the way,
1: I haven't watched one game of Olympic soccer. So I, far, have, I haven't really watched the men's. I watched, I the, watched women's, the women's. women's that's yeah. it.
0: I don't care. Um, while you met, I've been, I've like been weirdly into these Olympics. I didn't think I was going to be so into it with whether it's like the time zone differences and like, you know, results of marquee events, but one thing that I've noticed. So when I look at Paul Areola and like, I look at his upper body Mm. and I'm just like, cause he's obviously like, he's beefed up in his upper body significantly from Paul Areola of a few years ago. Mm. And so I, I I was thinking about that when I was watching, I was (laughs) But I saw I was I was watching some of the men's gymnastics and I was like, oh, my God, yeah, like they have the same exact build as Paul Areola. Like you could throw him out there and like he would fit in perfectly as a U.S. men's gymnast.
1: Of course, you could put him in, throw him out there and, uh, you know, it what are you talking about you madman those bodies are crafted from years and his years.
0: upper body is the same they it's look not exactly, exactly same. the same it's not
1: being ripped or being soccer fit it, however much it may look aesthetically like that is nothing like it it doesn't they don't have he belongs
0: anymore. on a pummel horse oh.
1: <laughs> all right all right Ariola on a pummel horse let's try and make that happen
0: uh, you have a mailbag, I believe. I do
1: have a mailbag. It's a very interesting one. Uh, caught off side pod at gmail.com is the email. Uh, Soccer pod on Twitter and Caught off side ESPN on Instagram. Uh, a lot of people, including the Shutout podcast, um, have alerted us to, I've got to say, this must be one of the worst weeks imaginable <laughs> for Wayne Rooney. So... Yeah. Uh, ESPN reported to today or yesterday that Derby County manager Wayne Rooney has apologized to his family and the club after images of him at a private party appeared online last week. Cheshire police said on Wednesday that they had dropped a complaint of blackmail regarding the charges, which appeared to show the former Manchester United star asleep in a chair with unknown women posing beside him. So he somehow got into the company of, of these ladies um, they didn't suggest any uh, sexual impropriety. Uh, no, no. None of it was. He just looked. It just it wasn't was, a good optic. No, he was bewildered and drunk and asleep in their company. And they kind of made funny posts and etc. And it went everywhere, which considering.
0: Well, some of the things that they did to him were sexually suggestive. Well, he was asleep. Correct. But there was. He just looked like a drunk guy. Yeah. You know, he was um, he was passed out. Like he didn't really I mean, there were some where he just kind of looked out of it. But like some of the more like explicit ones were him just like asleep on a chair. Now,
1: considering previous tabloid stories about Wayne Rooney, I can understand why his wife would be pretty upset about this. Um, And he, you know, he apologized to um, to her Uh, in the same apology. He also said that he just wants to bring Derby County back to where it belongs I think if you are apologizing to your wife, even if it is down the camera at training, you should really focus on on your family. But whatever. To make things worse, Mm. he injured his best player and the player he made captain last year, uh, the Republic of Ireland's Jason Knight, with a training ground challenge. And Knight is now out for, the last report I saw, 10 to 12 weeks. Yeah. Just... I I've, I don't know what to say.
0: No, it's it's one of it's one of the, the all time bad weeks.
1: I was listening to a podcast with uh, with Ali McCoist this morning, where I'm. You can only assume you can't assume. You know that Wayne Rooney didn't mean to injure his best player and of thus make not. it. Of course he didn't. However, Ali McCoist was talking to um, off the ball in Ireland, and. <laughs> Ali McCoy tells the story of Graham soonest as manager at Rangers who during a, they used to play five sides on a Friday, Andrew, the English players versus the Scottish players. And Graham soonest used to play for the English players to make up the numbers. And the Scottish players always won. And they were winning five nil in a Friday evening or Friday afternoon game at one point. And they st- the Scottish players started passing the ball around and you know doing that whole thing. Ole, mm-hmm. ole, and soonest lost it and cracked one of the players in the jaw, one of his own players in the jaw,
0: deliberately. <laughs> but like w- <laughs> what makes this Rooney thing even worse, if if it, if that even is even possible, so he was only taking part in the training session to make up for the numbers after i'm reading from the garden here after being left with only nine senior players including two goalkeepers right uh key players departed in the summer because of the uncertainty at the club and the first team coach Jay given left after the after his contract expired Knight was among those to captain derby last season um he's considered one of the club's best prospects derby uh remain under a transfer embargo for financial reasons including yeah. defaulting on payments to hmrc but have been granted permission to sign free agents in line with strict wage limits. They're also allowed to sign players on loan for half the season. Um, so like they're in they're, I think they have like Phil Jagielka in right now on a trial. Like they have no players. And no. so he, so that's why he's training. And then he's out there injuring players that, that they do have. Now they have even fewer like, Oh, that club is what a mess. They are a total mess. And oh, they're a man.
1: constant story. Remember, remember the year before last, it was the car crash where Andy Kyo, their captain, his knee was destroyed in it. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. He wasn't even drink driving, but the other players was, and he was let go. Oh my God. Yeah. They're in real bother. They were supposed to be bought out last season by a, um, middle Eastern consortium. It's not happening now. Uh, Josh Hinton, Andrew and JJ just wanted to write in with a mailbag comment regarding transfer rumors. I've never been one to buy into anything until the club officially emails me with the announcement, but I do keep up with the rumors, if only to pass time. As a City fan, I'm a bit disturbed seeing the abuse journalist Sam Lee is facing from Villa fans regarding the possible Grealish signing. It's not just Villa fans, uh, Josh. As a Kentucky football fan, I understand the pain of losing a local legend to a super brand but abusing journalists who are reporting what they're hearing is nine. This isn't the son of the mirror. This is the athletic who have an incredible track record with accuracy and detail. Not that it would be okay to abuse reporters from tabloids. Just thought this ordeal warranted a mention looking forward to the premier league preview pod. Yeah. It's um, Sam Lee has tweeted about this and written. Well, he articles. wrote a whole
0: article about it.
1: Yeah. Um, it's. And by the way, just to, to reiterate the point, he gets abuse from city fans over transfers. When something is supposed to be happening, he reports it's at a certain stage and it doesn't happen. And then he gets the abuse because it doesn't happen. Right. Because they view it as false information rather than a continuum of a negotiation between two sides. Um, I agree with Josh transfer rumor. Twitter. I hate it. Is disgusting. It's foul. I hate it. It's at the point now where if a club puts up a heartfelt um, email about someone who's sick or ill or a supporter who's dying and they put it on social media the first response below it from some cretin will be announce x or y <sighs> yeah like it's brutal and, and oh I, I hate it i absolutely hate it I'm with, I'm with you on that josh it's disgusting yeah um big
0: 12 realignment Hmm. How does that make its way into a soccer podcast? Oh,
1: well, I shall read it and we oh. shall find out. Mm-hmm. Darnell, howdy, fellas. Andrew, I'd like your opinion, not Jages. All right. On what's going on with the possible Big 12 realignment, this seems on a college level like the version of the Super League coming to fruition. Where are the fans coming to protest this move and keep the tradition intact? I feel this is just Americans loving... The quote Super League conference. This would develop into. I think if the planned American Super League was left up to Americans, the majority wouldn't have protested against it the way folks around Europe did, and instead welcomed the idea. Your thoughts?
0: Yeah, he wants my opinion because hey, dumb American, R- answer for this. Like that. That's what this is. You're not dumb. That's but that's what this is. This is baiting the American on this podcast to try and answer for what he deems to be an American problem in European soccer, I guess, okay, uh, because of how sports run here. Look, first of all, with with the Super League and Americans loving it, um, I, I don't know. I, I, I am not the voice of all Americans. Our um, listeners. I've, I've never purported to be that. But like you said, our American listeners to this podcast hated it. I have a lot of American friends who love soccer. I don't I'm not just saying this to go against your, what you're baiting me into here. um, Not a single one of them were pumped about the idea of a super league. So maybe you have different friends. Maybe you're speaking to different people. I don't actually know anyone uh, who's a soccer fan in this country who was enthused about the idea of the super league. And in terms of your conference realignment, you know, comparison that you're trying to make between the big 12 realignment and that being a sign that, you know, Americans love, destroying sports and things that are held dear in sporting culture. I mean, look, there's, there are some parallels, I suppose, between conference realignment in college sports and the super league, but they are not the same. The super league was essentially the end of domestic leagues as we know it. Um, Like it, it would be the same comparison if a select few teams decided to break away from the NCAA and therefore created their own college sports league and thus making the league left behind in the NCAA obsolete and meaningless. Like, if that happened, then guess what? You probably would see protests, and you would hear outrage. Um, so, like, it's not the same. The Super League was going to destroy the sport. Uh, I don't know that conference realignment destroys the sport. It shuffles. It kind of shuffles the chairs and you know, creates new powers, and, and I'm sure there are certainly teams that will feel the brunt of it. But like to prop that up is, as, a, as an example as to, like I don't know, Americans loving the idea of a Super League, I don't know if it's, it's not the same to me. I see what you're trying to do, um, and I don't know if I'm fully on board with it.
1: Joe Philbrick, good friend of the pod here, been listening for countless years now, and I always look forward to your guys' episodes out of all in the ESPN FC stream. We're number one. They change my mood instantly and make me happy. It helps me push the rest of the world out of my mind and focus on what I love in soccer. You guys, that's, a, by the way, a lovely thing to say. You guys probably get this question all the time, but there are, are there any good websites you, you guys know where you can watch soccer matches from yesteryear? I have recently been intrigued to watch the Champions League run of Jose Mourinho's Inter and Greece's Triumph in the 2002 Euros. Thanks for all you do, Joe. Joe, um, I don't know if they're still doing it, but your first port of call should be UEFA.TV. You sign up for free. It doesn't cost you anything. And Bay stockpiled a load of games at the start of the pandemic that I went on and watched. And you may be able to find the the game you want in there. If not, there's a ton on YouTube of varying quality. Some aren't edited great. Some some commentary is a little bit wacky. But you can generally find what you want there, too, as well. So that's UEFA.TV. Try FIFA.TV as well. And YouTube. Um, John... Petty singer finishes us off here tonight. Andrew uh, didn't know if you guys saw this yesterday, but it's my submission for the mailbag talking point on tonight's pod headers limited as the premier league aims to protect players. So high impact headers, therefore uh, uh, what are considered headers coming from balls, uh, 35 yards away or further and certain corner kick, uh, corner kicks included and free kicks. Um, they're trying to limit them to 10 per session um it's more it seems to me from the detail i've read of it more of an advisory from the premier league um i don't know what level of enforcement there will be on it um but it's certainly it's certainly probably something i don't know if it if the if the, the term to say it needed to be done but it needed to be addressed now because we're at that moment where there's a lot of research on heading the ball and the effects on the brain. But what we're dealing with is players from the 60s and the 70s and the 80s. We have, we're, we're getting that data now. And I think the Premier League are trying to get a jump on, on the science. They've seen the scientific reports. A lot of what's been said, Andrew, is that the new lighter balls doesn't necessarily mean that they are risk-free. Um, so this is the, the Premier League trying to be proactive on it and kind of have to welcome it really.
0: Yeah. Um, I will see what kind of impact it makes.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's a tough one, um, because the game is, you know, the game is really, really in England in particular, we see, uh, we see plenty of long balls, collisions in the air, things like that. Um, and it's part of the game that we love, but uh, the evidence is mounting that re- repeated uh, heading of a football of a soccer ball isn't good. So it, it's going to be interesting to see how it's enforced, uh, what clubs think of it and, and what the data tells us going, going forward. There you go. Is that it? That's a, uh, that's a male All right.
0: It is super late. It's very late. We're going to end great. this. We're going to end this right now. We will be back in some form after the final can't tell you exactly when things will be happening back in some form, like we're going to be gaseous or, or or some some kind of liquid. That's right. Like we're Alex Mack. Um, No, I mean, in some form, whether it be later that night, the following day, it's hard to say. It is my, my 10 year wedding anniversary. Wow. And we will, I will be away and this is going to cause some issues. I'm already stressed as to how I'm going to navigate this. Right. And, but we've never failed to make it work. That's you putting a lot of pressure on me.
1: We've always made it work. And I'm putting you under no pressure. What you are doing is putting your wife ahead of tens of thousands of people. Yeah, which is, I think, the right thing. Tens of thousands of loyal people.
0: What are you implying here?
1: I'm just saying she's your wife. That's great and everything. But, you know, there's a guy in Norway who wants to know what we think about
0: soccer. I know that's not lost on me. Mm. It's going to be I need help here.
1: We'll figure it out, guys. You will have a podcast after the Gold Cup um, final on Sunday night.
0: Well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to plot how I'm going to make this work, but we'll make it work because like you said, we always do. Uh, But we need to go to bed because it's very, very late. Also, I'm going to go watch Paul Areola on the uneven bars right now. (laughs) Uh, I'm very excited. He's doing great. Uh, That's about it. This was a fun one. The U.S. are into the Gold Cup final. Uh, I look forward to watching whoever it is they'll be facing. You know by now I don't. Um, But it's going to be fun regardless in Las Vegas this coming Sunday. Hey, good stuff, my friend. To you, I say...
1: Mm others, just as See ya. Take care. You've been
0: listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast.